And so I kind of, you know, I kind of got ahead of myself a little bit, but the book of Hebrews is all about what? What's, what's our theme? Anybody? Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. He's better. He's superior. He's greater than anything you could find any other place in the world. And there's no reason for us to go back. And so with that, let's look at our scripture for today. It's Hebrews chapter 3 verses 7 through 19 is where we're going to be reading today. And before you stand up, let's just remember that in this book of Hebrews, there's potentially different audiences that are listening to these words, even these words that we're reading here today. And so there are Jews who have probably received this uh, letter or admonition, and they have yet to embrace Christ. They are still under the Old Testament law. They are still taking sacrifices to the temple. They are still dealing with all of that. They've heard about Christ. And this letter would be very familiar with them. Maybe even some of these Jews who have not received Christ participate some way with the true Christians. But they've never yet fully embraced Christ. Then the, in this group, there's probably Jews who have professed Jesus as Christ in name only. But when the time of persecution comes, they fall away, just like the soils. You might you remember the parable of the soils? The, there's a soil that is the hard ground, there's the, there's the soil that's, that's the gravelly pathway, there's the soil that has uh, thorns and thickets that grow up amongst the seeds that have been planted, there's a soil that gives good lasting fruit. Well, this is, this is kind of similar. This, there are people who have professed Jesus Christ in name only, but when things get tough, like things do in the world, they fall away and they go back to their old way of life. But then finally, the, the third audience is those Jews who have truly trusted Christ. They have received him as Lord and Savior and they're moving on learning about Christ. And the temple and the sacrifices there for them are falling away because the one true sacrifice, Jesus Christ, has come. So with that in mind, as we read this, you might keep those in mind. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and, did, and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? 
Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to read this section of scripture. And it's, it's a section of scripture that we have to go through carefully. And, and uh, we pray that you give us wisdom and insight to understand all the kind of little twists and turns that the scripture takes, plus the references to Old Testament verses. We pray that we could understand it, but we pray also that we can apply it to our everyday life. So many people in the world are discouraged at this time, and we have this great hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, how he can change our lives and we can live lives full of joy and contentment. We want to share that with other people as well. We want them to get it just as we have gotten it. And we want to keep the fire that is within us, the Holy Spirit going and burning ever brighter and hotter and not diminishing, but only getting stronger in our life. This is our prayer today. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as you're being seated, uh, this applies to all three of those audiences that we talked about, but it also applies to us as well, right? Notice how it says today. It says today, do not, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So this is something that he is speaking to us today, that we are not to harden our hearts. We are not to be disobedient. We are not to be unbelieving. And this is the message for us today. It's a warning. It's the second warning that we have seen. The first warning is not to neglect our salvation, lest we drift away from it. This is a warning to not harden your hearts and do not have an evil, unbelieving heart. This is strong language, isn't it? I mean, as I'm looking out over you, I'm, I'm looking at people that I love and care for and know are good people. And yet I know that each and every one of us, myself included, if we don't heed these warnings, are susceptible to falling into this, save for the Lord Jesus Christ who is keeping us, right? Uh, so he says very plainly here today from the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to us, do not harden your hearts. It's a command from the Holy Spirit, uh, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his, your, his voice, do not harden your hearts. These verses are actually from Psalm 55. So if you've got a little place and you want to write that down and want to look that up a little bit later from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And David, the King David who wrote that psalm, is admonishing the people of Israel in those days not to be like the people who wandered in the wilderness because of their unbelief. So in that, in that kind of neat, he's talking about Joshua and his group and Moses and their group. And then we're talking about David and it's all applicable to us. That's how the Bible is so amazing. Even though it was written thousands of years ago, this particular part, it applies to us today. Amen. And so... We have to ask ourselves a question, I think, is if we're not to have a hardened heart, what is a hard, what is a hard heart? You know, how do we get a hard heart? And so there's a lot of different ways we can have a hard heart, but when I think of a hard heart, I think of one that is immovable. It's, it's set in its ways and thoughts and opinions. 
It's resistant to change. Unloving. Sometimes I would say a hard heart is unloving. But I think about, you know, if you think about the potter and the clay, you know, that's a verse that's spoken of many times that God, that God is the potter and we are the clay. If, if we have hard hearts, they are susceptible to cracking, right? Breaking. They're not malleable. They're not easily formed into the desired object that the potter wants us to be. And so that is ultimately, I believe, what a hardened heart is. A hardened heart is not one that physically can't hear, but it's one that won't hear, right? Because of their unbelief. And so when they hear the gospel, they don't respond with joy to the gospel message. They don't joyfully respond to the commands that we are given to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow his ways. Those things are not joyful. Their heart is hardened. It's as though their consciences have been seared. So how does one gain a hardened heart? We absolutely, we don't want to emulate these things that I'm going to be talking about. I'm sure there's many, many, many ways that a heart is hardened or become seared. But one way I would say is that we consistently say no to God's commands. We see them right there in the Bible. <laughs> we see them right there in the Bible and we could list off a bunch of them, but I won't do that. But we consistently just turn our eyes and say no to that command. I'm not going to do that. We, not, we may not say it out loud, but inside we say it. And gradually as we say no to God's commands, we become harder and harder. I think our hearts are hardened when we listen to the world instead of the guidance from God's word. The world can be a difficult place, right? If you take the world's advice, it can only lead to heartache and ruin. We are to look for guidance in God's word. And so don't let your heart be hardened by what the world has to say to you, but let it be softened by God's word. Another way to harden your heart is just to ignore God in your daily life. You may even come to church. You may even read the Bible occasionally. But if we don't take it seriously and apply that to our everyday life, then our heart can become hardened. We read and study the Bible without application of it to your everyday life. That's a sure way to harden your heart. If I can remember it, John 14, 21 is just the opposite. It says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That's the opposite of harden your heart. That's someone who hears God's word, obeys it, and it causes Jesus to draw closer to us. That's what that word manifest himself to us means. We draw closer to him instead of getting further away. Another way to harden our heart is we don't rely on God in prayer. If we don't go to God in prayer, our heart is likely to be responded, is to be hardened in a way that's not going to help us at all. We might never share the gospel. If you never share the gospel, your heart will be hardened. Right? <laughs> if you do not share the gospel, your heart will be hardened. We each have a responsibility, but... 
greater than a responsibility. It should be our joy to share the gospel. And with that joy in our life, without us seeing people coming to know Christ, our heart will surely be hardened. And the eighth one I'm going to mention here is probably one of the most, uh, probably should have been number one, but to, neg to neglect, to confess and repent of sin in your life will harden your heart. We all make mistakes, right? We all sin. There's not one of us in here yet who is perfect until we see the Lord Jesus Christ. Until then, though, we don't ignore our sin, but we, we face it head on with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we, we confess that sin to God and we repent of it. We turn the other direction and we worship, worship God. And so... The author of the book of Hebrews says we are definitely not to harden our heart. And he gives an example of those who have had a hardened heart. And he goes all the way back to the time of Moses. So what happened during the time of Moses? Well, Moses was a deliverer of people from bondage in Egypt, right? Yes. So the people of Israel are in bondage in Egypt. They were under uh, slave labor and they wanted to deliver. God gave them a deliver in the person of Moses. And we won't go through the whole scene, but uh, Moses and the people of Israel cross the Red Sea and they go to Mount Sinai and they receive commandments from the Lord. They enter into a covenant with him and then they travel on and they're headed for the promised land, right? They're headed for the land that God had promised to them, the land of the Canaanites and Jebusites and around Jerusalem, that whole area there. And so did you know that they traveled all the way through the wilderness and actually got to the entry to the promised land and they sent in what? They sent in spies to see whether they could take the land or not. So they sent in 12, 10 came back and said, man, these guys are big. <laughs> We're like grasshoppers in their sight. There's no way we can take this, these people. It was only Joshua and Caleb who said, the Lord is with us. We can surely take this land. And how did God respond? Not in a positive way. No, right? Because with unbelief, with a hardened heart, unbelief, God cannot do his work through us. And so God said for 40 years, until this whole generation passes away, you're going to have to wander in the desert. I don't know about you, <laughs> I've been in the desert a few times. <laughs> I don't, has that ever happened to anyone to where you feel like God is leading you in such and such a direction and you come up to the brink and it's hard for you to make that decision because it's going to take a step of faith. And I don't, I didn't take it. I didn't take that step of faith. And so I feel like I'm wandering in the desert. Um, until I come to the place where I can believe and trust in God. I think the, the people of the Hebrews were, just, were this very same way. They were not allowed to enter into the promised land until that whole generation had passed away. And then Joshua and Caleb were allowed with the rest of the people that had been born during that time to enter into the promised land. And so this was a, a time that in this very section that we've talked about today that God says that he was provoked by the people of Israel. They had first gone to Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. Then when Moses came down from the mountain, mountain 
the people had already turned to idolatry and he wanted to destroy them then and start all over with Moses. And Moses convinced God not to do that, said, otherwise the Egyptians will laugh at you if you bring us out, but you can't deliver us. And so there was a time where God provoked them because of their unbelief. But then this time of their entrance into the promised land as well, they provoked the Lord, they tested him, tested his mercy and his grace and his kindness for 40 years, it says. God called Israel a stiff-necked people. I love that term, a stiff-necked people. And I think he called, it, called them that way because they were stubborn, they were set in their ways. But I think they all also called him that, that because their faces were always turned the other direction away from God. He wanted to have a relationship with them, which requires us to see people face to face. That's why Zoom Bible studies are great, but they're not as good as being there in person, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Zoom church is good if you have to do it, but it's not the same as being in here in person, seeing people face to face. But he called them a stiff-necked people. They were stubborn. He says they always went astray. He says they did not go, know God's ways and they did not know God's ways because they were not familiar with God's word. And you might say, well, what words did they actually have of God's? Well, they had the Ten Commandments. They had the covenant uh, principles that came after that. They had a portion of God's word and they had his visible presence, right? In the tabernacle. And so they did not know God's ways. They were not familiar with God's word. We need to be familiar with God's word, don't we? Amen. We need to be familiar with God's word in order to be able to trust him. They trusted in their own hearts. We cannot trust in our own hearts. One of the phrases I, I hate to hear is that, well, my heart just feels like I should do this. That's a warning sign, folks. That's a warning sign. If we are trusting in our own heart, the scripture says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? My heart tells me is a disaster unless, unless we are informed and transformed by God's word, right? Yes. We have to take those two things together. Think of this verse here. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There it's talking about the heart, about us getting the desires of our heart, but it's conditional, right? It's delighting in the Lord. If you do that, then I tell people, ask for whatever you want. <laughs> you can do that. If you are delighting in the Lord, if you are reading in his word, you are joyful in what he's revealing to you in his word. You love being obedient to God. You're appreciative for everything that he has done for you. If you are delighting in the Lord and his word, he will give you the desires of your heart. Therefore, pray for what you want because your want has been changed. That's how that works. It's not talking about winning the lottery or winning something that would cause selfish gain. It's talking about being available for the kingdom of God, delighting yourself in the Lord, and he will give you what you want. What we need and what the Israelite, 
Israelites needed was an informed heart that was conformed to the will of God. For the people of Israel, the people wandering the desert, they didn't have that. And he's, God swore an oath that they would not enter into his rest. They would not get to go into the promised land. Now, how does that equate to us here today? Because this is about us, right? It's written about the Israelites then, but it's about us now. So what does it mean that by if we harden our hearts and we are full of evil unbelief, what does that mean about us entering into heaven? It says that we will not do that. We will not if we do not have a believing heart. Are you saying, can you lose your salvation? No, I don't believe you can lose your salvation, but this can prove that your salvation was never actual in the first place. And so the writer goes on, he says, take care. See that? He says, take care, watch out for unbelief. Let's read that again. Verse 12, take care, brothers, let there, lest there be in any of you an un evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Serious verses, right? Something that we should take notice of and understand what does this mean? We're to look out for any sign of unbelief that might be entering into our life. Unbelieving actually reveals an evil heart, one that is turned away from God. And the result is forsaking the living God. No one in here wants to go that direction, right? No one, no, none of us want to go in that direction. But we must have a go, be on our guard. We have an enemy, an adversary, who is seeking someone to devour. It's like a roaring lion, Satan. We must stay ahead of his game and, and take care not to fall into his traps because he will try to set us traps. He will try to get us to have a hard heart. He will try to have us to have an unbelieving heart. And so we are to examine ourselves. Listen to just a few of these verses given both in Hebrews and other parts of the scripture about how we are to keep a track of our spiritual life well-being. We've already read uh, Hebrews 3.12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself or, do not, or you do not realize this about yourselves that Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So Paul says, examine your life, examine your faith. Are you really in the faith? Are you really showing spiritual fruit? Are you really following in the steps of Jesus? Test yourselves to see if Christ is in you. And if not, then maybe you have failed the test. 2 Peter 1.10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you Practice these qualities, you will never fall. And then just a, a verse we just read last week in our Easter service, and I didn't really mention this particular verse, but it fits in with this idea of examining ourselves. 
But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. How can you believe in vain? <laughs> the object of your belief can be the wrong thing, right? You can place your faith and trust in your works. You can place your faith and trust in some preacher. You can place your faith and trust in your membership at some church. That can be, a, that can be believing in vain. Our belief and trust must be in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. So we're to take care. We're to examine ourselves. And then this final one is we are to... According to verse 13, look at it. But exhort one another every day. We are to exhort one another daily. <laughs> that means to encourage one another, right? right? That's why I believe church and church membership is so important. We are a body of Christ who gather together to support and encourage each other. I need to do a much better job because I'm not doing it daily. We could do better. We could do daily. So cards, letters, phone calls, all those things are important to keep in touch with everyone in the church. Why do we need to exhort one another daily? Well, first of all, the time is urgent. Would you agree the time is urgent? I believe, and I'm not a prophet in the sense of knowing the future, but the signs of everything that's going on in our nation and our world to me indicate that the time of Christ's return is much nearer than it was just a few decades ago. Why should we ex exhort one another daily? Well, a person can be hardened. Look at 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it's called a day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Lack of fellowship a Christian having a lack of fellowship can help in hardening their heart. Being in fellowship will keep your heart tender. Now, I'm not talking about potluck supper, although that's a kind of fellowship. I'm talking about our Bible studies, our Sunday school classes, the times where it's not just me talking, but everyone gets an opportunity to talk tell what's going on in their life, share what's going on, their struggles, how they have failed, ways people say, well, I had that same problem and this helped me. That's all a part of keeping a heart tender toward the, the Lord and to his word and to his people. A person can be hardened. That's why this exhortation is needed every day. Verse number 14, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence first to the end. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it says it means. This is not an unclear statement. We have come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That means we as true believers in Christ will persevere to the end. If we don't, it's a sign that we have never come to share in Christ. The faith that Jesus gives is a faith at last. Amen? Amen. 
It lasts for our whole life. There's no expiration date on it. We may have times of difficulty. We may have times of weakness. We may have times of temptation. We may give in to temptation. But ultimately, we always come back to Christ because it is he who is keeping us. But we play a part in cooperating with him in that. Every day is important. That's what the scripture is talking about. And judgment is sure. Look at verse number 17. And with whom has he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned whose bodies fell in the wilderness? There is a time of judgment that is coming. God will judge unbelief. And unbelief shuts a person out. Look at verse number 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. We will enter into eternal life because our belief is genuine. Amen. It must be genuine. It cannot just be a knowledge that we've obtained up here, but it must go directly to the heart. And that belief always results in a changed heart. Things of the world should be for us passing away and getting less and less important. Things of the kingdom should be getting more and more important. I wanted to read the first verse of chapter 4 as well, along with verse 19. Verse 19 says, So we see that we are unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. That's why I think messages like this are so important. Is that we want everyone here not to miss the point. <laughs> that we need salvation. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ, faith in him alone. He has done all of the work for us on the cross. He has purchased our salvation. He has purchased our sanctification. He's purchased our glorification. He's purchased the church, which is the means for us to persevere in our faith. And he keeps us in the faith. Hallelujah, what a Savior, amen? amen. Hallelujah, what a savior, savior. So as we close today, be encouraged. I know this is a hard, all of these warnings are hard for us to take sometimes, but is God expressing his love for us, saying to you who are believers, you're headed the wrong direction. Turn around as my father, as my son and daughter and head back toward me. And we will be obedient to that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to look at this section of scripture. And so many parts of the book of Hebrews are encouraging. And this is one of those if we take the encouragement as coming from the father to his children. No father would withhold information from their child that is for their good, and this is for our good to hear this here today. Even as believers, we need to be encouraged to stay on the one true path that leads to salvation, which is following Jesus Christ. But if we're, there are unbelievers here today, they need to hear this as well. They need to understand that their good works, that none of their 
good deeds that they have done will ever save them, but they must place their faith and trust in Christ. And we may have people in this group that are professed believers, maybe even members of this church who um, understood intellectually what it is to be a Christian. Maybe they're brought up in church and and know all the right things to say and the right things to, to go to. And, and yet they've never really experienced the life-giving change that comes from the Holy Spirit causing us to be born anew. And it goes straight to our heart. Our heart is immediately changed. So I, I want every group in here, every person, to experience the full benefit of this message that Jesus is the best thing in this universe. That he paid full amount for our sin. That is a free gift that is offered freely to everyone. And that those who place their faith and trust in Christ have the hope of eternal life, the assurance of eternal life. Because he commits himself to us just as we commit ourselves to him. And he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And so guide us in this time of response. Give people freedom to step out of their seat and come up front and declare their love for Christ, their faith and trust in Christ. Or help them to, in their own place where they are standing right now, they're sitting, to decide how the Holy Spirit is leading. Help them to listen to that voice. Father, we love you. We want your will more than anything. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.